All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. You're listening to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Well, before we get to Razor, which I'm very excited about, I also am excited about Fantrax.com. You know that, Tim, because the season is upon us. If you haven't joined up yet, you still have time to join the best fantasy platform in the game. The NHL regular season is about to begin, like I just said. And if you sign up now with Fantrax.com forward slash DTG, you get a chance to win a Nathan McKinnon signed jersey. What more can you ask for? You get a signed jersey of arguably the best player playing today and you get to join fantrax.com which is the best fantasy platform in the game so join up fantrax.com forward slash dtg do all your fantasy stuff there because listen everybody plays fantasy sports nowadays you might as well do it on the best spot to do your fantasy sports fantrax.com i would not steer you wrong people all right that being said let's get back to razor i guarantee you tim that he uses fantrax.com forward slash dtg get yourself a free jersey Hey, everybody, welcome to... Uh, I'm excited about this episode, Tim. There's not many times I get a guy who's coming in who arguably is tougher than I am, who I grew up watching, idolizing, going to watch him play at the old Buffalo Auditorium. He's a legend in his own right. Rob Ray is kind enough to join us here on the show today on Dropping the Gloves Razor. It's a pleasure, my man. How are you? Johnny, it's my pleasure to be on with you. So when I go to Buffalo, they ask me, what number do you want? Who, who, <laughs> what number do you want on your jersey? Uh, and I said, should I take number 32? Because I was number two uh, with the Blackhawks. And I go to Buffalo, and I'm like, gosh, I'll take 32. And I made the mistake of not asking Rob to take that jersey. Then I go on his show a couple of years ago, and he just ripped me a new one. Totally came at me. I, I was not expecting it. And I'm just going to formally apologize, Rob. I should have I should have asked no. you for your jersey because you're like John, John. It was an honor. It was an I, honor because you know why? This you were the first guy that after I retired that came in and wore the number that wasn't a goalie and some kid that was just called up that was there for one game. And I'm like, how disrespectful that! <laughs> At least you came in, represented it well, did your thing, and uh, you 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 carried on the 32 legacy here in town. Not as well as you did. Boy, I, I didn't realize, A, that you played, what, 12, 13 years in Buffalo. Yeah. So that's a long time for anybody on any team, let alone a tough guy who 
usually when the team's not doing well or they need to make a change, the fourth liners get shipped out right away. So that part is really impressive. And then the fact that you played your role, I was looking at your stats, the Whitby lawmen, yes. 1984-85, you put up 318 penalty minutes in that league. And usually fighters, you know, they were skill guys on previous teams. They, they came out of the W or the OHL and they were skill guys and they kind of honed their craft and they had to transition to the NHL. You've always put up massive pimps. I thought that was amazing. Well, but how does that, I, that happen? That was the first year, Johnny. That was the first year. And that was the first year team in the tier two league that we played in. And we won like nine games all year on that team. We won nothing. And you're playing with men. I was 15 years old and maybe just turned 16. And you're playing, and that's just the way the game was. And it was a, it was a battle of survival. And I was not that kind of a player coming up through. You know, like when I was in minor hockey, you had two couple hundred points a year. You know, that no, was the game really? you played. Yeah, and then you you left. When I, when I left uh, Whitby and got drafted to the Cornwall in the Ontario Hockey League, you know, it kind of got back to normal again. You were, you know, you were that third, fourth line guy, good defensive player, killed penalties and all that kind of thing. But, you know, those penalty minutes kind of followed along because back then that's, that's the way the game was. If you were a superstar player on a team, you fought almost as much as, you know, the guy that's whose job it was. Um, so, you know, it was always there. And I think it was more there because of the era and style of game that was being played at that time. And I think that I learned really quick, especially in junior B when I was like 14, my first practice, I go on the ice and here I am with a, out there with a bunch of, you know, overage junior guys coming back home and playing. And this scrawny little guy just kicked the crap out of me. Like literally picked me up from the back of the net and the back of my pants threw me headfirst into the wall. And I go home, you know, I tell my old man, I'm like, this is what happened. He's like, well, boy, you're going to have to learn to defend yourself. And I'm like, from that point on, it just was like when it happened, it was, you know, a great learning experience. But you, you figured out a way to to survive in that world. And, you know, fortunately, down the road, it, it paid dividends. Well, I was lucky enough. And I should say I was lucky enough when I when I got to the league, it was a dying breed. There wasn't yeah. many tough guys. I, I didn't have to fight too often. I think the most fights I had in a year was maybe 10, you know, which which was a lot when I played. You played. It was it was like everybody had two, three tough guys. It was the the prime time for fighting. What did you, did you train? Like, you're not that big. No, I don't, no. I don't want to offend you. You're six no, foot. No, it's six you know, foot. You're, you're stocky. Six foot. I'm the lower side of six foot. And I got drafted at 205 pounds. And when I got drafted, I was an average size guy. Like, I was not small, but it wasn't big either. So, you know, that's, that's the size of the player where I finished at about maybe 218 when I was finished playing, you know, after you kind of matured and grew and, you know, your body filled out. So, it, you know how it came? I'll tell you what. I, I got drafted. I went to camp here. I got sent to Rochester. And John Van Boxner was the coach there. And he said to me, he said, look, Buffalo wants you to play this role. If there's an opportunity, if you can handle playing this role, that you're going to get a shot to play. Is that goes, right? I'm not convinced you're going to get a shot to play just by your game and your skill level alone he goes you may play your three years in the minors and bang around the minors but i'm just telling you the door is open do you want to take it and i'm like dude show me how and that year in rochester uh in 88 
I had like, I think it was 46 fighting majors. And I bet you if I won two fights all year, it, I'm, I'm over exaggerating because it, it was, it was a nightmare, but you learn how to deal with it. You learn how to mentally deal with it. You learned when to, when not to, you started learning a lot of little, you know, tricks to the trade. Uh, back then there was a lot of experimenting with jerseys, arms coming off Velcro, you know, uh, silicone you know on your jersey that were hanging so it was a time where you were trying something different all the time it was great because it kept you going thinking uh staying on top of it it was like an experiment every night with something new to to go out but that's what it was that's what it was when i got there and when boxy said hey you're you're might be your only way of getting there is this and you, and, you know i'm 19 years old and i'm like dude show me how show me how and, uh, you know, you helped out with the, you know, the following year, you get your first chance to play. You had 446 penalty minutes at you that year. Yeah. That's an insane amount. That's 90 majors. If, if they're all majors, I know they weren't, but that's a in, lot of penalty 60 minutes. some games in 70, no 74, 74 games, 446 penalty minutes. Yeah. That's an incredible amount. That's over five a game. You, you mentioned the tricks of the trade. I remember Derek Bugard took me under his wing and he, he taught me some stuff where he used to rub tough skin on his knuckles yeah, to make it cut guys easier. He would always wear leather gloves because if you got into a scrum, it hurt more to get punched with a leather glove <laughs> than, than a, just a cloth glove. So he's yeah, like, no, I always yeah. use leather gloves. Um, Rocky Thompson used to put Vaseline on his face. How much did you, because I, I'll be honest, I didn't work on that sort of the, you know, side of it. I was tall. I would just hold guys out. And no one could touch me usually. Yeah. Being smaller, you're at risk of getting hit every single fight because yeah. you, you never have the reach advantage usually. What like was that something you just sat around with? I sat next to Ryan Miller in Buffalo and he would tinker with his pads and this and that because you know that's what goalies do. Would you sit there with your jerseys or your elbow pads, or your shoulder pads, or your helmet and like work with them to try to make it better to fight with? Yeah, yeah, I did. And and I never got into the Vaseline side of it or you know, the silicone, all that kind of stuff. I I just it was more the equipment experiment. And what happened, because actually 32 is a goalie cut jersey that, that we wore, so it was a little bigger. And one time uh, we're out there and I got in a fight, the jersey came off, and because there was no tie down and all that yeah. kind of thing. And it worked to my advantage. And, and Jim Pizzatelli, that was our trainer, we called him the fight doctor. He was, that's all he thought about was fighting. And he gave out robes to all the guys and, he was one that really kind of helped you with it. And he was always coming up with different ideas and he'd be willing to do the work that we had to do to, to make the Jersey the way it was to, uh, to see if it would work. And it, it just simply came down to getting that Jersey off. And then when the Jersey started coming off, you know, it was like, well, the shoulder pads and elbow pads might better come off as well. So all I had was a little piece of Velcro on each shoulder that hooked to the, the Jersey that kept it on no straps, no straps. And it just sat there on your body. So it's the second somebody would grab on, you know, you're kind of just pulling your shoulders, everything would come off. And it was so funny some nights because guys would all of a sudden grab onto the jersey <laughs> and they're standing there within his hands and you could just see their eyes going, oh man, I'm, I'm done now. We're in, I'm in trouble because they had nothing to hang on to. And I would well, and that's, that's what a hockey anything. fight is. Like a hockey yes. fight is you grab them by the collar and you punch in the face contest nowadays like you meet up with these other guys in the off season you train with them you talk like you're all always around other tough guys it seems like do you did you ever meet up with a guy in the off season like razor what the hell are you doing to us like we get like 
Because that's they got to be pissed off when they grab your jersey. No, they were always pissed off, and you, and you always heard it from other trainers too, and you heard it from everybody going, "All oh, jersey comes off, you cheat this and that, and you know why is your jersey?" And you'd get in a fight on the ice, you'd skate past the bench, other guys, and they were always, always chirping you about the jersey coming off, and I'm like, guys, you try to be smarter than the next guy. Don't just sit there and be, you know, carbon copy. Try your own thing, and 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 I figured out what worked for me. So many guys, John, you know yourself, that played this this role, they all had little things that they did. And a lot of the times they wouldn't even tell you because they didn't want it to get out and, you know, can kind of know the little tricks of their trade, but every guy was different. What would work. And, you know, it's the same as fighting a big guy like yourself. I learned early. I can't fight you guys in the middle of the ice because your arm length, you hang me out and I'd be swinging a hundred miles an hour, but I'm coming six or eight inches from your head. It's what the heck am I doing? You know, you always had to get a guy like yourself against the wall. So you had to break the, the you know, the elbow for yeah. they're coming in. You come up underneath and you kind of work them that way. So there was so many different little tricks that you you learned along the way. And we didn't have the luxury of the, you know, the playing the fight back and, you know, video YouTube and all that kind of thing. It was like sitting in the room going, hey, uh, is John Scott a lefty or a righty? Oh, uh, do you throw so bombs hard. or do you like to get in tight, you know? And that's pretty much what it come down to. That was that's where you got your information from. Did you get surprised by anybody who just got called up, random guy, and just because that happened to me with Justin Johnson? I didn't know much about him. Teddy Nolan's like, stay away from him. And I was like, ah, yeah, I'll be fine. He knocks me out. Did, how did that happen to you often? Yeah. Well, yeah. You know what? You're always getting that one guy that the little squirrely, lanky little guy it wasn't the big guy. It was the little guy that would kind of get in a fight and he'll pop you with one and they would catch you off guard early because that's what they were kind of looking for that one shot. And then you kind of settled into it. There was a guy named, uh, I think it was last name Brian that was with uh, Montreal popped me one time right off the, off the beginning of a fight. And it was like, Oh my God, like who the hell's this kid? And then not Terry it, Ryan. It might, I'm not sure. I thought it was, I thought it was a Ryan. So, but anyways, it was kind of caught you off guard and it was like, Hmm. But most of the time, the guys that I would end up having to fight, it was always the guy that nobody else wanted to. And it was always the big guy. So there was always, you know, knowledge about how how they, they fought and all that kind of thing. But, you know, all of a sudden, once you got into it and you've seen how guys responded to it, how fans responded to it, you know, at that time, it got attention. That was like, hey, every night you were trying to, bite off a little more than you could chew each night, just try to move yourself up that ladder. And, you know, some nights when I can remember the night in Philadelphia, when I grabbed down to Dave Brown and I'm like, "Uh Oh, and I hear John Muckler on the bench screaming, don't do it. Don't do it. Cause he's <laughs> a huge man. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, it's too late now. It's too late now. And we went at it, but when it was over, I caught him with one. It was over. And I'm like, that was unbelievable. You know, like you're, you're banged up and it's like, I got him. You know, you couldn't believe it. It was somebody, uh, you know, Chris Dial and a lot of the a lot of the guys that you grew up watching, as you said, you had a chance to kind of lock horns with. And it was Marty McSorley. There were so many guys that you, uh, you know, it was kind of a, just a badge of honor, just, you know, getting involved with them and them actually willing to, to do it with you. And then you could hang with them, too, which has got to be pretty Afterwards, cool. It was fine. Yeah, because they, going- were, they, were, they were not bad guys. Yeah. You know, so, you know, like I had Chris now and I fought him a few times. And we'd be sitting in the penalty box. And he's like, hang on, hang on. You know, next time you want to come over the top, you know, like, you know, I, I had you here. The opening was there. And, you know, kind of, I'm like, what? So, <laughs> but that's what a lot of those guys were like, too. So, 
but you, you, you fought for your life, man, because those guys meant business when they were doing it. The thing is now the guys lock into a fight and it's 10 seconds, 15 seconds, and they fall to the ice and it's over. Yeah. You lock in with Chris now and Marty McSorley, Jay Miller, these kind of guys, you better be ready to go for at least a minute, maybe yeah. more. And you're, you're getting to the point you can't lift your arms anymore and your legs are just shaking because you're trying to hold each other up. There was no stop with these guys. There was no couple quick and try to throw it to the ice. If anything, they were trying to hold you up just to beat you more if they could. Does and it piss that you was off? Kind of the way it came. Does it annoy you to watch? Not how the game is played these days, because we all know that's where the game is. But the fights, the the, the yeah. tough guys, like yeah. you said, they they literally have a five to ten second fight, and then it's over. Then they skate off the ice like they're Muhammad Ali. Does it frustrate you to see that? Because you call hundreds and thousands of games since you retired. And you're just looking at it going, boy, I would dominate this whole ice rink right now if I was 20 years younger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and you, you listen to the way some of them talk and Ugh. how they put themselves on such a pedestal of how great they are at that job. And you just, in the back of your head going, 20, you know, I hate doing it. I hate going back and saying, oh, you know, 25 years ago, you would have been this, you would have been that. But it's so true. It's so true with that type of a player, probably more than anything, yeah. that uh, – you know, back then, John, you know yourself, those guys, they, they played for real. And now it's more for show. Back then it was playing for real. Well, it's hard. Like you said, it's it's hard to distinguish, okay, how would Connor McDavid do? What would Gretzky do these days? Yeah. A fight's a fight. Yeah. You're either tough or you're not. So you can tell back in the day, you're fighting Paul Loss. I know Paul Loss. He grew up right next to me in Grimsby, Ontario. He's a tough son of a gun. You put Paul Loss in the NHL today, he's cleaning everybody's clock. Oh, and the guy Paul was in- hit me one night right at square in the in the forehead when he was in Florida. He hits me there. My helmet exploded. <laughs> the, the the little slots where the screws were for the adjustment on the side popped out over, and the helmet actually broke in two pieces <laughs> because he popped. He hit me so hard they it popped the screws. What he was a tough man. There's a guy who's a sleeper that people don't talk about. How Without a doubt, was. and he was a lefty, oh, right? Oh my god! Oh, he, and he hit he hit hard. And there was no getting him to the ice, man. His balance was awesome. Florida Panther, number three. I still remember him. Yep. He was just a warrior. If you had to pick a guy who – there's the guys you like to fight, the guys who you're comfortable with. Who was the guy who you just didn't like, who always made you uncomfortable, who you always couldn't figure out, who just always seemed to have your number? Um, the guy I had the most trouble with uh, was Joe Kosher. No kidding. And I, and I, and I think the reason why he – he had my number a little bit more was he hit so hard. You know, he hit like a ton of bricks. You know, the first punch was just as hard as the 30th punch that he, that he's throwing at you. And it was always so hard to get established with him and kind of get into that fight of, you know, exchanging punches back and forth because every time he touched you, it was like your head was shaking and you know, you, it, it startled you so much. So you know, fought him maybe four times, whatever, and, you know, just skating away from it every time. If you weren't, I wasn't shut or something wasn't bleeding on your face, then, you know, you were always discouraged about how, how the ending was. Yeah, I was not, I'm looking back on your teams, too. Like, Kosher, he had Probert, he had McCarty for a little bit. Then you go to yeah. other teams, and they had two or three tough guys. Other teams had four. Everybody had a couple guys riding shotgun. St. Louis had Twist and uh, Chase and a, a bunch of other guys. Did you ever have someone 
to kind of ride shotgun with you to kind of, if your hand was busted, you could take a night off. Cause I didn't, I, I couldn't see anybody. Well, you know, over the years you had guys like Matthew Barnaby was always willing, you know, we had Paul Cruz for, a, 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 you know, a few years, you know, Brad May, very tough guy, Bobby Bugner. Maybe no. by far, may far the toughest out of the whole group. Yeah, but and, he's and, not a tough, tough guy like no, you. No, and because he couldn't, he, 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 a, he didn't really want him playing that game because he was, you know, the, the player he was. But that's that's what it was, you know. Eric Bolton had it for for a while, you know, just kind of guys that uh, you know filled the role. But you always nobody that would come in and say, "Hey, okay, you can take the night off. I got the big guy tonight." Yeah, and you know, so you always had that on your plate. Was that tough? Like, cause I was lucky enough. Like I said, I came in with Derek Bugard, who was, who was the best in the business for a long time. And he took me under his wing and maybe he felt threatened by his position where he's like, listen, I I'll take the number one, a heavy yep. and you take, you know, two and, and then we'll have a good game. And that's how it went. And we did that for a couple of years. Was it tough? Like, I know I had a tough time with just getting up for every game or was it just the wild nineties where everyone is just like, let's go. We're fighting every night did it ever wear on you? Like you're, you're yeah, coming to the range, busted eye, like hands all swollen, you know? Yeah. You, you, you'd go to practice the next day. You couldn't hang on to your stick. You'd kind of hold on to your stick between your, your finger and your first finger, you know, because your hands were all, uh, you know, banged up, uh, mentally knowing it going into a game, you know, days before you'd be thinking about it, uh, you know, depending on who you were playing. Yeah, it, it, it wore on you that way more than you could ever imagine. And I always sit there and I, I see guys now that played that role and that's the first thing that comes out of their head is how hard mentally it was to do the job. Not so much physically, it was more the mental side of it that uh, wore on you. But I, I think I, to my advantage over the years, John, I, I, I kind of mastered the flip the switch thing you know we use that as a phrase the wires but cross I, could and... sit on, I could sit on that bench for 20 minutes and just enjoy you know watch <laughs> what's going on and check people out and talk to the trainers then all of a sudden you know something would happen and, and i could get myself from happy-go-lucky to so pissed off in a matter of seconds that you know that you needed to be when you stepped out on that that's but tough to do you, it is. And, and I, I learned early that you can't be like that all the time because by the time you get your name called, you know, to go into a game, you're so wore out physically and mentally because you had yourself in such a state. You, you really, I think the big part was mastering how to turn that on and off. And, you know, you got to a point in your career where, all right, I know it's going tonight, but I'll worry about when the time comes and bang, when that time comes, you were able to, uh, turn it up a couple notches and, and go. I wish I was in Buffalo right now because you know why? If I was in Buffalo, I'd use my DoorDash app. Ding dong. I would get myself some chicken wings. I would order from the anchor bar. I'd get myself a, a beef on whack, which is just an unbelievable sandwich you can get by the airport. It's so incredibly good. I would be DoorDashing all day if I was in Buffalo right now. And you can too. If you're in Buffalo, DoorDash it up, DoorDash.com, go on the app, enter promo code GLOVESDD if you're in Canada, GLOVESDD USA if you're in the United States. You get 25% off your first order, you get free delivery, you get all kinds of good stuff, and you get food delivered to your door. You can drive to Buffalo for all I care. Get yourself some Anchor Bar Wings, they're the best wings in the world. Get some beef on whack. You will not, I say it all the time, but I mean it, you won't be sorry. This food is unbelievable. Unbelievable. I guarantee Razor uses DoorDash. But I know we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Go to DoorDash, promo code GLOVESDD in the USA. 
Oh, sorry. Gloves DD USA. If you're in the USA, US. Gloves DD. is it just US? US? Yeah. Sorry, Tim. Promo code gloves DD US. The promo codes are so stupid. But besides that, just, just go to DoorDash. Thank you, everybody. Let's go back to your first full season with the Sabres. It was 90-91. You, know, you made the team right out of camp. You put up 16 points that season. Eight goals, yeah. eight assists. Got 350 pims. What, who, who were your linemates? What happened that first year where you just set the tone and kind of made a great first impression with the team? Well, majority of the time I played with Scott Arneo on that team. Um, so it was, you know, I played with him right from the beginning for a while. And 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 Dave Hannon and Wayne Presley were, were two guys that I played a lot with there as well during those time frames. But I think the biggest thing there, Rick Dudley was a coach. Mm-hmm. And I, if you know Rick Dudley at all, Duds was a guy that uh, understood the game and he played the game hard, but he was great offensively as well. And he gave you that opportunity and realized that to be able to keep doing the job you had to do, you had to be rewarded along the way too, uh, you know, with, with playing more and in, in different opportunities and situations. And, and he was huge for it. And, and, you know, back then it was, you know, you, you had to play, you had, you couldn't just sit on the bench and, and be that guy that they'd lean on and go and, and throw you in. You, you had to play and you had to be responsible. They didn't expect you to score uh, you know, and put up big numbers, but they expect you to be sound defensively and, and, and play your game and be ready to go and called upon. And, you know, I think that was, that was the big thing too. But, yeah, we had a couple of years there where you, you were putting up some numbers and you're like, okay, I got this, I got this. And then all of a sudden it just – the desert shows up again and, you know, it's, it's dried up the, the next year. So, uh, and, and guys always joke, hey, don't forget where you came from, don't forget what your job is kind of thing. And, and uh but, but it's nice, uh, you know, for guys like us, it was, there was nothing better than chipping in here and there. If, even if it was an assist, it was like you felt so much better and so much more <laughs> a part of things. Even if you got a secondary assist on a meaningless goal, I'm on the board for something other than a penalty minute. <laughs> I mean, looking at all your fights, all the penalty minutes you put up, did you ever have stretches where you kind of just got sick of it and just wanted to go out and play hockey? Like, do you get tired of fighting for time to time? Um. No, I don't think we really had the chance to get away from that. You know, I, I think that the game back then, it didn't matter who you played. There was always somebody there. You know, even, you know, you talk about the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, they they never had fighters. They always had guys. They yeah. always had somebody that, you know, you would have to go and deal with. It was some French guy out of some league deep in Quebec or something like that would they bring into <laughs> so it was you know the Robert's brothers and all that kind of thing it was like oh which one of these idiots are coming at you now not idiots they're you know at the time that's what you're thinking they were idiots I don't know I don't know if they were or not but it, the thing is it's you never had a chance to get away with it and and sometimes you'd sit there John you know you're soft and it was like you're looking at the clock and you're like oh, man, don't score another goal because that means, you know, oh, don't score again. Let's just keep this tight to the end. Let's get this. <laughs> That's so true. And get out. And, you know, a lopsided game one way or another because, you know, all of a sudden, you're, you know, they're gonna, you're going to be out there and somebody's going to come and want to prove a point or something. And it's like, oh, don't score, don't score, don't score. <laughs> and uh, I, I could sit there night after night just sitting there, just fingers crossed, everything I could cross for – either team not to score uh, anymore just to kind of keep it close. Anytime the gap is three goals or more, it's like, uh, okay, I'm getting challenged right away. As soon yeah, as I step yeah, over there. Yeah, or I have to go challenge thing. someone and I don't want to, it's like, I don't no. want to do this. So yeah. third period, I don't want to go and fight. I got, I've always, 
you played such a long time. You fought so many guys. You over a cup. How many fights? 200, 250 fights. Yeah, maybe more. Yeah. Like a ton of fights. What was your one fight that you can go back? And, yeah, that was my favorite fight. I love that one. Um, I think I go to the Dave Brown fight in Philadelphia because I think it was, it, it was a point in my career where, you know, you were learning the trade and you were kind of, uh, you know, understanding what it was all about at that level and, you know, slowly working your way up the ladder and, and the, you know, the type of player that you were getting involved with. And then at that time, Dave was, he was a king and, you know, you, you fought him and I did really well with it. And, you know, both jerseys are off and I caught him, you know, late in the fight, uh, just underneath the cheekbone. And he kind of comes in, he kind of grabs on him. He goes, that's enough. That's enough. And I'm like, I did it. And it was like, from that point on, it was like, I had confidence that all those other guys, it meant nothing because in my eyes, Dave Brown was, you know, the king of the world at that point. And, and I, and I, you know, conquered that, the fear of it and him and I, figured at that point I was good to go. So you mentioned Barnaby. I know Barney. Yeah. I've done a few things with him. I watched that fight between you two, which is fine. I fought teammates before. What are you saying to him? Because uh, I'm sure you've been asked this before. And if, if it's on the internet, I don't know. I, I don't know what you said, but it didn't look like you were exchanging. Like, what are you doing for dinner afterwards? No. And, and we were together the night before we were great friends. And, uh, and and I love Barney. Yeah, but him and him and Lindy hated each other. No kidding, that's funny. Hated each other. Hated each other. And you know what Barney's like? Always pushing it to the limit on the things that he would say. And all night he was going. Every time coming by the bench, he'd be saying something to me about being a puppet, or you know this or that, or giving it to Lindy about something. And finally, it hit a point, and Lindy's like. Doom, doom. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> so the point I was trying to get to Barney when I grabbed on him, like, it didn't have to come to this. You're just so stupid that you didn't know when enough was enough. And now you forced it for this to happen. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And he kept going on with the puppet, puppet, puppet. And you know, you just the more he said it, the more I got upset. And, you know, it was more the. You know, it was more almost like the brother to brother, father to son. Like it didn't have to be like this. It didn't have to be like this. It's literally from a movie. But the one fight I got great pictures of it. I, I, the one I fought him twice, and I hit him, and I got a picture of like my my fist here. The next picture is like hitting his face. (laughs) The next picture is his little four teeth that he had glued in the front of his mouth were here, and it was me following through. So it's like a four picture segment. And it's awesome. And you sent so, him that picture every Christmas. Really, no, Barney? I got it. And it's somewhere in here that uh, Merry Christmas, he, Matthew. He, is, he has actually seen it. So it's, it was great, <laughs> but he didn't funny. care. You know, after the game, his wife was mad at both of us, you know, and, and I'm like, Chris, I did nothing. I know you didn't. It's him. It's always him. He never knows when enough is enough. And he just was just going on and on. So you gotta have guys like that. I, Steve, Ott oh. was very similar to him. Otto oh. was, it's the maniac. The two well. of them, I, I tell you, if you had the two of them together, man, nobody would have been safe. No, they're just loose cannons. Was... Throwing Pat Coletta for Pete's sake, and you're just off to the races. But all right, so you finish up your career. We we can talk about it a little bit more, but I want to talk about Rick Jenneret because I don't think the yep. guy gets enough due. He has been the best color guy, I think, in the NHL 
this whole time. Like he's just unbelievable. He gets kind of overshadowed by Boston and Toronto and all the glitz and glamour and all that garbage they have. Talk about RJ, how good he is. And what's it been like working with him for Uh, gosh, over a decade now, right? I'll tell you that when, when I first started doing this, he intimidated the crap out of me. And he was a guy that I had a great relationship with and spent time with him on the road, even as a player going out and have a couple of beers just to listen to stories and, you know, kind of, but as soon as I started working with him, he scared the crap out of me because, you know, you would say something in a game and all of a sudden the commercial would come and he'd be hitting the button going, why would you say that? What the hell are you saying that for? And, And it's like, ah, so you're, you're always on edge. So when we would always be on the road, it'd be, I'd sneak down to the dressing room after the game and get him a bag full of beers and get him in the walk on the bus and hear RJ, you know, sorry, sorry, sorry. And, you know, two or three beers later, he's, he's <laughs> laughing and having fun with it. But the most genuine guy that you ever want to meet, he's, you know, 80 year old man. And I sit with him on the road and at the rink and, you know, you're talking about grandkids and kids and, you know, things you never, ever dreamt you'd talk about. And, you know, we go to a, a restaurant or a bar and I'll eat. He has a couple beers and we don't say anything to each other. He'll say, you going to have anything else? No. You're going to have another beer? No. And, you know, three hours goes by. We've said 15 words to each other and <laughs> we go back to the hotel and he orders room service and goes to bed type thing. So, but I had a chance, him and Harry Neal, both on the road at the time. And it was like, this is, this is gold. Cause you just sit and listen to those guys all day. And, and it was, it was fabulous, but RJ is so easy to work with John. He's just like, he, he taught you so much. He goes, let the game breathe. Sometimes, you know, you don't always have to have something to say, you know, let the, the game go through the TV so they can experience what it's like in the building, the environment, the atmosphere will go through the TV to the people They get a better idea of it. Uh, you know, other ways of distracting people from, the game's not so good or things aren't going well on the ice, you take it in another direction. You start talking about something else other than the game itself. And, you know, that's just little things like that that he's taught you over the years that, that they're so important, they're so right that, uh, you know, you don't hear other guys, the guys do things like that. So just little things, little things that he taught you, but so generous. And I'll tell you, here – Heck, he's he's the most popular friggin' saber could be ever. You know, there's a there's a generation now that grew up with Gilbert Perot, but young kids don't know those names yeah. anymore because they don't do a great job of keeping those names in front of the people. So kids that are you know young kids playing hockey now they don't they don't know those guys. They know the '90s and they know Rick Jennerette. Everybody yeah. knows Rick Jenner from. All the old ladies that love Rick and all the old men to the kids. Everybody knows him. And uh, he's he's just got his – he'll come to games and he'll go, ah, I can't do the Open tonight. I go into the front lobby and I'm just going to welcome people coming into the building. I'm like, why are you doing that? He goes, ah, I just want to. <laughs> he'll stand there and shake hands and, uh, and then he'll come up and bitch and complain because he's got to do so much. But, you know, it's, <laughs> so it's he's awesome. There's – there's no pleasing him, but I'll tell you, there's, he's that's what he's got. This is that's his life, and he just loves being around the game and loves being around the guys and and the environment. So, no, he's you know, great. Ah, so fun, and 
you, you listen to people around the game and I'll tell you, I go on, the, I'm on the road. I haven't been in the last two years, but when you go on the road and you get a feel for within the game, who's well-respected, every road building you go in, there's two guys that are asked, Ripper and RJ, Rip Simonic and Rick Jenneret. Are they on the road? Are they here? How are they doing? Everybody asks every night, every building about those two guys because they are so well-respected across the game from everybody. And, uh, you know, it's, it's great. It's great to be involved with them. Yeah. Ripper is the equipment guy who's been there forever since probably yeah, you were he's there, retired right? now. He's yeah, he's retired last year. So he's, he's finally done, but, uh, he's just racing his horses now, but yeah, they're the two guys that uh, have made a huge, huge impression you know, on this, on this organization. Oh, without a doubt. So you mentioned filling time, you know, yeah. going sideways with the conversation. What's you've, you've had to do that a lot in the last yeah. you know, 10 years. Yeah. Give us, give us an update. Uh, we have a segment on my show. It's called as the Eichel turns, because there's always drama coming out of Buffalo every, every week or so. There's always something new His agent talks to surgery. He wants to trade this and that he, he has a hangnail. And so it's as the Eichel turns, all Eichel aside, what's going on in Buffalo? What can we expect from the Sabres this year? Is it another year of futility? They traded Ristolainen. They traded everybody, Ryan Hart. They got rid of all their every all their talent, basically. We've had Dylan Cousins on. He's going to be the face of the franchise for the most part, and him and Darlene. What's What can fans expect this year from the Buffalo Sabres, Rob? Well, John, I think what they've done this time that they did not do in previous uh, – rebuild attempts is eliminate all the the contracts the salary we were never had our salaries under control there was always two or three guys that put it out of whack and you know it caused problems now they finally are in a position where they have their cap under control so you know they can start building with these young guys you can start laying the groundwork on you know, what you want them to be like and how you want them to play. And there's no negative influence from disgruntled guys within the room. And, you know, uh, you know yourself, you get in a room, you get a couple of guys that aren't happy. It's, it's cancerous. It spreads through everybody. And, and it's, that's not there now. They got kids there now that want to play. They work hard. We were in Columbus last night. They're down four, one, they came back, win five, four in a shootout. They, they just, they had nothing to lose, so they just played hard to the bitter end. And and I think that's what you're going to see. You're going to see a much harder-working team. It's going to be pretty sound defensively. I think offensively they're going to struggle night to night to, to put goals on the board. But for the most part, you're going to see a team that's going to learn how to play the game, play it right. And on the management side, now they're in a position where they've got money and they can slowly start adding to this. And having to sign guys, you know, getting Darlene signed uh, long-term is is smart. Right now, there's a lot of things that need to be answered, like goaltender of the future. you got a couple young kids there coming up through that you just hope that, you know, one of them are going to hit. Had a conversation with Carmanis last night, and he's like, you know, the world of hockey now, if you miss on one first-rounder, he goes, it sets you back unbelievable. Hmm. But when you miss on two or three – over oh, a five-year span, it kills you. It kills mm-hmm. an organization, and that is what's happened here. Like they've they've had some guys that they've missed on, uh, you know, that haven't come through to be those players they thought. 
and it set them back. And now they got to battle their way out of it. And I, and I like that, hey, get rid of all the high price help. Let them go do their thing elsewhere. Teach the kids the way they want. Get the cap under control. You set yourself up that you can start building the way you want. So you got Reeves coming in for the Rangers. You got yeah. Miles Wood with the Devils. Bruins are always a tough team. Toronto signed Curtis Gabriel. Who's yeah. wearing number 32 this year in Buffalo? Who's going to you know, keep the other team honest, Razor? Let's, let's give a little – the fans want to know who's going to be dropping the gloves in Buffalo this year. Um, um, <laughs> come on, John, we all know that game's gone. That, uh, you know, you don't, that's something that we haven't had. And I think that was, a, that was an argument for some of the guys, you know, Jack and that over the last few years because they did get targeted. And they got targeted hard some nights. But I think if you look at, you know, our they got Brett Murray that's coming in. He played in Roch last year. He's a big body kid. He's he's a big, powerful fighting. I don't know on, on you know, that side of it. Kid last name Hayden came in. He was a second or third rounder with Chicago years ago. He's about 26. Um, you know, bigger kid, can handle himself. He's kind of a guy you could have around when you got to put him in the lineup. You can have him. Uh, in and out, but other than that, there's not a lot that uh, you know. No you're one's striking at. fear in the opposing there's, team. There's, I no, I, I would still feel pretty comfortable going into that dress room and saying just about whatever I wanted that <laughs> I wasn't going to get, you know, in trouble coming out of it. So, but you know, I think that that comes by more playing a team tough game, yeah, you know, because we, you know, we didn't, our guys. They, they wanted nothing to do with it. Nothing. Nothing Jeez to up. do with it. Now, you know, you, you got to spread out a little more. Davidson, these guys on the point, they're bigger guys. They they play a little more of a physical game. But, uh, you know, that's that's the adding. That's the building part that, uh, you know, hopefully moving forward. Someone's going to grow into the role. Yeah. Really embrace that role. Yeah. What's what's cousin's nickname? The the maniac from Whitehorse? The workhorse from the workhorse Whitehorse. From White White House. House horse or something like that. <laughs> the Whitehorse. Work I'll horse. tell you, yeah, you said you had him on your show. Great kid. He's an unbelievable like, kid. Oh man. Got a good he's one too there. nice. He's too nice. He might he's be a too little nice. too nice. I but he plays the game hard, man. And and when he drops him, he can throw him. He can throw him really well. He's tough as nails. And uh but he's just a good guy. Like he just seems like a really, really nice down to earth guy. And for as young as he is, you know, watching him on the plane last night, dealing with everybody takes control. He's, it seems like he's got a good rapport with everybody in there and, and around town people that he, anything that he's been involved with so far, just, they just love, appreciate the kid. So guys, we, we talked about fantasy hockey the whole last episode. I've been super into it. Like I said, I'm in a dynasty league with my buddies from back home. It's been eight, nine, ten years, whatever. The draft is in two weeks. I'm trying to trade some draft picks. I'm trying to open up some calories, salary cap space. I'm trying to make make moves to kind of get some guys on my draft that I'm eyeing. And Fantrax makes it super easy. I'm able to kind of trade, trade your keepers, trade draft picks. It's set up to do that way better than Yahoo, way better than ESPN. Um, what, but even if you're not in a keeper league, if you want to go do a salary cap league, like our, like our fantasy hockey league for dropping the gloves, you want to do a fresh redraft league. It's all good. Fantrax is the best one ever. It's better than ESPN. Like I said, it's better than Yahoo. And if you're in those leagues, you kind of like want to stick with those, bring it into Fantrax. You won't be disappointed, especially if you're, if you're the commissioner and you want to make some custom moves on your league. This Fantrax makes it easier than ever. And you can sign up and you get a chance to win a signed Nathan McKinnon jersey. Fantrax.com forward slash DTG. 
you'll get into fantasy hockey and you'll get a chance to win Nathan McKinnon jersey, like legit signed jersey by one of the best players in the league. So what's what's there to lose? Check it out. Fantax.com forward slash DTG. What's the plane rides like, like now? And this is maybe before COVID. Are they playing cards, having a couple beers, obviously not getting crazy, but it's no is, drinking on the plane. Why? Who instituted that rule? Yeah, no drinking here. There's no beer or anything on the plane for, for not players. when I was there. Yeah, now it's that's the way it is. A lot of cards, and in some nights you sit there and you're like, guys are playing cards. We just lost five one. We got our butts whipped all over the ice, and you know there's there's more emotion in the card game, and uh, you know than you you might have seen during games. It no. bothers you a little bit, but. You know, I think that's just the way the game is now. Do you you think know, I can remember gonna... years ago you'd do that, and the coach would be back there screaming his head off at you. You know, trying to intimidate you, scary. But that's just that's not the way it is now. Do so. you see a time where you ever just listen, like pull them together, and be like, "What are you guys doing?" Because you got no. that. You know, you've you've yeah, done but it. You, you, the second you do that, you're you've got yourself past a boundary that you know, that you're not getting back across again and you're going to find yourself in trouble. So you're going to be fired. For I me, know. You know what? It's called job security. Just sit back and keep eating. Just keep yeah. eating. <laughs> Just keep eating. I'll tell you what, you get, so the food on these flights, it's like unbelievable. It's like, yeah, I get, I get there early and RJ and I used to get to the plane like hour and a half early and just sit and eat, just eat. And, you know, we're passed out in a food coma by the time anybody gets on the plane. So it's not good for the waistline, those trips. I remember one time we were, we were in California. We just got done just getting smoked by LA and we had a long flight back to Buffalo. And who was it? uh, Someone said no drinking. And I was like, what are you nuts? Cause we got the long flight back to Buffalo. I didn't drive to the airport and I was like, I wanted to, you know, tie one on and have a good time. And so we go to the back of the plane. Everyone's upset. We wanted to have a couple drinks. Remember Zen and Kanopka? Yeah. He pulls out his bag. He's like, don't worry, boys. I got you. <laughs> he pulls out six bottles of wine. He's got alcohol. He's got everything. And we just, like, it was, it was the, the craziest thing I've ever seen where this guy literally travels with a bar in his suitcase. He's like, ah, oh, you never know. Sometimes you, the coach might, you know, and he always used to do that. It was so funny. But anyways, all right, Tim, you got anything else for Mr. Razor? Uh, one more question. Who do you think the toughest guy in the league is right now? Um, Who's the guy that plays the toughest in the league now or pretends he is or says he is? What, Ryan Reeves? <laughs> I, I guess. I don't know. Like, it's, it's hard even to to even come out and say those because you, you're not there. You're not dealing with them. Uh, seems like he handles himself all right. But, you know, I'd like to see him get hit in the nose a few times and see how he reacts to it. You know, it's easy when you're overpowering certain guys and you're you can get the upper hand, but all of a sudden when you get hit a couple times, that uh, that determines you, you're a good fighter to a great fighter. Uh, Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. you got to be able to get hit. Right? Everybody's I'll tough you, until you get punched in the nose. You're right. And, and you know yourself, John, you got to be able to take a couple to get yourself set and ready. And if you're having trouble getting hit a couple times, then, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to be successful. So here's a question. How old are you, Razor? 53. If I gave you a year – to get back in playing shape somewhat. You think you could go and be a top five heavy in the NHL right now? Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't How even much do I got to play during the games? Just one, two minutes. Oh, hell yeah. 
I love no problem. Yeah, not even a second thought. No, no. It, it, as long as I got to play a cup, give me no more than five minutes of actual playing time and getting a fight every night. Not a problem. Do you forget our charity game when I absolutely buried you? Yeah, when you crushed me. Yeah, but I wasn't ready for that. You hit me in that bat in the wall, and I'm like, oh, it killed me. Nobody hits anymore anymore, so I don't have to worry about getting hit out there. It's just a matter of going out and running around, trying to do some hitting. Yeah, you 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 took the window to my sail for a couple months, actually. I thought you were gonna you, lean into me. The body doesn't react the same way as it used to. I used to go head first through the wall, no problem, get up and get going, get bumped there, and it's like, oh my god, I'm dead. I'm dead. <laughs> well, where can our listeners find you, Razor? You want to plug anything? Find me? Yeah, I don't know. 289 South Leo Drive, East Amherst, New York. I'm, I'm <laughs> sitting on the back porch having a cigar most afternoons. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. He got the invite from the man himself. <laughs> People bring are going to slow that bring down. Cigars. So, uh, that's that's funny. Well, Razor, thank you for coming on, man. I, it's funny. No I always, problem. I always prepare for these podcasts. I got a bunch of stuff, and Tim's like, "You got anything prepared?" I'm like, nah. Me and Razor will just shoot the breeze because you're just a yeah. good dude, man. I, I enjoy talking to you whenever I get a chance. So hopefully, I can get the Buffalo again. We can uh, chop it up. And hey, you're more than welcome to anytime, John. All right, Razor, we'll get back. I know you got a million jobs you got to do. So thank you very much for joining the show, and uh, we'll we'll be in touch, my friend. Sounds good. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you next week. Uh, Cheers, everybody. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.